0: Good morning. Good morning sir. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor John, and I'd like to thank you for joining us, being here in the sanctuary, and I'm also grateful for those of you watching online. If you've been here, you know that over the past few weeks, we've been going through the gospel according to Mark, and we're seeking to answer this question, who is Jesus? And the reason we're spending so much time on that question is because that's... What the book of Mark is about. Mark, the author, is trying to paint a picture to answer that question for us about who is this person. He's very concerned about the identity of this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, and he wants to tell us who he is and the difference that can make in our lives. Throughout the book, people are seeking to figure out exactly who this Jesus is. What is he about? We've seen questions in the book where people wonder about who he is and what he's doing. For example, in Mark 1 27, he just cast a demon out of somebody and the crowds were all amazed, we're told. They questioned among themselves. And the question they had then was, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So they're saying, what is this? What is Jesus doing? But they're The question behind that is, who is this guy? How can he do these things? Everyone in this book wants to know who is Jesus. Because that's really the most important question that anyone can answer with their lives. And it's a question that should concern each of us as well. Because who we think Jesus is, well, that should make a difference how we live every day. Because I have to tell you, who we think Jesus is makes a difference for how we'll spend every day of eternity. How we understand who he is impacts every part of our lives. But who is he? Is he somebody that we can ignore? Or do his words and actions change your life? Do they change my life? Right now, the passage we're going to look at today is about a quarter of the way through the book. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. There's 16 chapters in the book of Mark. We're at the end of chapter 4. We're about a quarter of the way through. And in this passage today, Mark tells us a story, but then he almost pauses to put that question before us of who is Jesus. He's challenging us the readers of his book to ask that question ourselves. To do that, he's going to share a powerful story, a miracle Jesus does with great authority. And then he's going to tell us a question the disciples had in response to that miracle and their question is who is this who is jesus and mark's very concerned that we discover why that matters to us so let's find out who this man is if you're not already there please turn in your bibles if you have them to mark 4 35 through 41. it's also a blue bible in the seat back in front of you you can use we also, though, have it up on the screen here. Mark 4, 35 through 41. Once you've found it, if you're able, I'd ask that if you could, you could please stand for the reading of God's word and follow along. I'm going to read our passage for today. This is Mark chapter 4, again, starting in verse 35. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he, being Jesus, said to them, his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. Verse 37 says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, he was asleep in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In Verse 39, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Verse 41 tells us they were filled with great fear. And said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him let's pray lord i pray you would press that question down into each and every heart and soul that is here today or hearing this message who is this God, help us to see the authority of Jesus Christ and take comfort and encouragement from that, but most of all to wrestle with that question, who is he? Lead us to see the truth that Jesus is your son, the son of God, the one who's fully God, fully man, who came to earth for us and died to save us. May we see him clearly, understand who he is from your word so that we decrease in our in our affection our desire and what we live for and that jesus would increase in our thoughts and in our lives it's in his name the name of jesus that i pray amen Amen. you may be seated So the way Mark structures this little story is he's going to present a miracle to us and then he's going to get to the question that the disciples have in response. So we're going to start by looking at this miracle, this miracle that he portrays for us. And what does this miracle show us? Well, it shows us that Jesus has authority over all things. If you have that outline you got, that's your first fill in. Jesus has authority over all things or power over all things. This story of Jesus calming the sea shows up in some of the other gospel accounts of Jesus. It's also in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 8. But here in the book of Mark, he uses this passage to introduce a new section of his book. He's going to present Jesus having authority in different situations. Here he has authority over nature. In the next story, he'll have authority over demons. And in the story after that, he'll have authority over sickness. Mark uses these stories to highlight that Jesus has authority so that when he talks, he's someone that we should listen to. But let's look at this story right now. In verse 35, Jesus instructs his disciples to take him over, take him across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Now, Galilee is, the Bible calls it a sea. It's really more of a lake that's in modern-day northern part of Israel. And he was there by the sea, and so they set out in a boat across it, verse 36 tells us. The implication here is in the passage before, last week we talked about Jesus sharing parables. He's teaching the crowd. And so the thought is maybe he was standing in the boat to teach the crowd, and so in this verse he sits down he says, okay, let's go, let's head out. And if we think about this boat that he's in, um, something really interesting that happened in 1986, so almost 40 years ago, archaeologists actually found a 2,000 year old boat in the Sea of Galilee, which would have been about the time that Jesus was doing this. And I actually saw it. It's, it's there next to the Sea of Galilee. They have a special museum for it. And when there was a group of us from church who went to Israel, we went there and someone from the group took this picture of it. Now the question is, well, is this Jesus's boat? Uh, probably not. Almost certainly it wasn't the exact boat he was in right now, but it tells us a little bit about what the boats looked like then. It's kind of hard to get the size of it here. It's a, a decent-sized boat. It could probably hold about 15 men inside. But it would have just been that, and then you know a, a sail, so they could catch the wind and go across, but not much else. So we're about to read about a storm. So they're sitting in this boat on the lake. There's not a whole lot to protect you from a storm. So the head out in this, we're also told a really interesting detail that Mark puts in here in verse 36. It says, other boats were with him. And we've talked about how popular Jesus is. It seems some people wanted to follow him across the lake. They couldn't leave him alone even now. They recognized who he was. Jesus wants to get away. He wants to rest. It's been a long, hard day, but other people want to follow him. And scripture doesn't tell us this, but maybe in some way, this storm served another purpose of getting Jesus and his disciples Alone to see what he would do next. But for right now, verse 37 tells us that a great windstorm, a fierce gale, a furious squall, some translations have, arose on the sea. And the wind and the waves were so great that they were coming into the boat. The boat was in danger of getting completely swamped. A great windstorm arose, the waves were breaking into the boat, the boat was already filling. And in this lake, the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, it's common for storms to come like this. The lake is actually below sea level. It's an inland lake, and there's mountains around it, and wind can suddenly rush in and bring a storm unexpectedly. And that seems to be what happened here. But Jesus, for his part, he is in the back of the boat, the stern, and he's asleep. It says on a cushion or a pillow, probably a bag of sand that was used to help balance the boat and again this is really interesting that we're told exactly where he was in the boat maybe this is because some believe mark who wrote this book got his information from the apostle peter that he knew peter and peter told him yeah jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat and maybe that's why mark wrote that particular detail down but before we move on i'd like to just pause for a few minutes on that very thing that in the midst of this storm jesus is asleep in the back of the boat what's something that we could learn or that we could ponder about that? I think at least two things. On, On the one hand, Jesus being asleep shows us that he was not afraid of the circumstances of life. This storm did not catch him off guard. He is the son of God. He knew it was coming. But even then, in the middle of this storm, he has greater trust in his relationship with his father than he does fear of this storm. He has greater trust in his heavenly father, whatever may come in his life. This sleeping of Christ kind of reminds me of words from Psalm chapter 3. The psalmist in Psalm 3, verse 5 and 6 says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Like this psalmist, Jesus could sleep because he had trust in God. And it reminds us that trust in God can give us the freedom, the peace to be able to sleep as well. Now, yes, I'm aware that some sleep loss can be a medical condition. I'm not downplaying that at all or saying to get treatment for things like that. Not talking about that. But sometimes the reason we don't sleep is because we're anxious and trusting God can be the solution to that. Because our lives are completely in his hands and his loving care. This is a really cool quote from Lottie Moon. And you say, I recognize that name. Yeah, because the special offering we do at Christmas time is named for her. She was one of the very first Southern Baptist missionaries. And this is something she said about her life. She said, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal till my work is done. Now, what that means is she didn't run around doing reckless things. It meant she was not afraid of what would happen to her life because she knew that God was in control of her life. And when her time was up, then God would take her home. It wasn't an excuse for recklessness. No, it was her basis for a life of confident trust in the Lord. And maybe in some way, Jesus' sleep reminds us that we too can trust God in every circumstance because he was not afraid. Now, we're not told what's happening there, so maybe that's what's going on. But on the other hand, we should acknowledge the reality that Jesus was probably exhausted. He had just been teaching. He just delivered a long message to a big crowd. And Mark, if you remember, he goes through his book, presents everything as immediately, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. He's not necessarily telling us that all this happened in one day, but as he presents it, it's possible Jesus argued with Pharisees like he did back in chapter 3, had to confront his family, and then he preached about these parables, and now they're heading out. On this voyage at the very least mark wants us to focus on how he was just teaching and now they're going out to sea and yes jesus is the son of god but he was also human and many people demanded his time and energy he was <laughs> exhausted I'm using some of my imagination thinking here i imagine he said okay let's go across the sea he went back he laid down and i think he was out like a light because he was that probably that tired and we see he's so tired because a storm is happening and he's still not waking up. I don't know if you've ever been that tired, that kind of tired, that seems like nothing can wake you up. I'm generally a light sleeper, but I know that if I'm really, really tired, uh, my daughter can be yelling, lots of things can be happening, and I can still sleep. It's amazing what some people can sleep through. I know I heard recently, uh, my parents told me about my grandparents. So my grandparents live in central Florida, and a few weeks ago, a few months ago, Hurricane Ian came through. Now, they're in the central part of the state, so there wasn't really great danger there, just you know, some trees down the neighborhood, stuff like that. But while the storm came through during the night, my grandmother was awake, listening to these howling winds come over their houses. this huge hurricane comes across. My grandfather slept like a rock the whole <laughs> night through. Sometimes if you're that tired, you can just sleep through whatever happens. And it seems that something similar is happening to Jesus here. He was human, he was tired, and so he slept. Why am I taking the time to bring that up? Because that's actually a great encouragement to us. This Jesus, the Son of God, was also fully human. He got tired and he slept just like us. But whatever the reason for his sleep, whether his trust in God or because he was tired, the point is there is a storm and it is threatening this boat and those who are in it. His disciples wake Jesus up and they anxiously ask him in verse 38, they say, do you not care that we are perishing, that we are drowning? Maybe they're frustrated by Jesus's lack of response to what seems like this life or death situation. Jesus, you should do something about this. Maybe they hope that he will do something, but things seem to be getting hopeless. The language in Mark is that the boat is already filling with water. And remember some of the context about this. These are Jesus' disciples. We're explicitly told that at least four of them were professional fishermen who have spent their whole life fishing on this particular lake. They knew this lake, they knew the weather, they knew the storms, yet those four men are like, yeah, this is really bad. We need some help right now. This was a real storm with real danger. They needed help. The problem is, though, in this moment, their fear of the storm is greater than their trust in Jesus' presence. Their fear of this storm around them is greater than their trust in the presence of Jesus, the Son of God, with them in the boat. And i think if we're honest with ourselves sometimes we fall into the same trap our fear of what's happening around us or happening to us is greater than the fact that christ is with us that if we are his people we believed and trust in him his spirit lives in our heart and sometimes we forget that to focus on the storm that's happening around us and maybe we feel the same way the disciples do Maybe we think, you know, it doesn't seem like God is caring about what's happening right now. He doesn't care that I'm struggling. He doesn't care that I'm suffering. Maybe we're caught off guard by this suffering. We don't understand how God, how could you love me and still allow this hardship to be happening to me right now? Maybe like the disciples, we angrily tell him, why don't you do something now, God? But all the while, we miss the reality that he is in control And he knows everything that happens to us at every moment. I think the British pastor Charles Spurgeon has some good reflections for us, challenges. He says, do you think that Christ came from heaven to earth to save you and that now he's indifferent about you, that now he doesn't care? He asked, do you think that he lived here for 30 years of toil and weariness for your redemption, your salvation, and now he's going to cast you away? Do you think that he bore all the wrath of God on your behalf and now thinks that your salvation is such a trifling thing that he cares not whether you perish or not? Well, the obvious answer is no. No, no, he doesn't do that. Of course not. It doesn't make any sense for Jesus to do all that for us and now be like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with you now. No, he doesn't do that. He sees us when we suffer. He sees when our loved ones suffer. He knows and he acts according to his timing and according to his will. That pain you've been wrestling with, he knows about that. That loved one who you've seen struggling or suffering so much, he sees them. That crisis you're dealing with at work or that challenge at home, maybe that overwhelming test or assignment you have if you're in school, Jesus is right there with his people, suffering with them and ready to act for his glory. So whether what you're wrestling with is a difficult relationship or a challenging circumstance, may this passage remind you that Jesus knows and cares even if in this moment you feel all alone. And our text tells us that in his timing, he will act. In verse 39, Jesus wakes up, he gets up, and he speaks a word of rebuke to the wind. He says, peace, hush, quiet, silence, be still. And what happens? The wind immediately ceased. The storm immediately died down. And our text says there was a great, a complete and perfect calm. It's almost hard to imagine this sight. This storm is going on that's so bad that the professionals are saying, this is not going to end well for us. Jesus says, peace, be still. And immediately the lake is completely quiet. It would have been almost an eerie silence, I bet, with all the noise of the storm, and then followed by nothing but still water. Because the whole time, Jesus was in complete control of the situation. Because he has the power, the authority. We could use the word sovereignty over everything on this planet. Yes, he slept in the boat because he was tired and he was a man. But when he woke up, he woke up as God, the one who rules over all creation and has authority over all creation. Because after all, he was with his heavenly father. He created the whole world with a word and he controls it by the same power. In the book of Colossians, the author is talking about Jesus and says, By him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things. In him all things hold together. Our passage just shows us a picture, a taste of that glory, of that power. It also kind of has some echoes about how God's power shows up in the Old Testament. For example, in Psalm 107, it talks about some men who are on a boat and a storm comes up. And look what it says. It says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. I mean, that's almost exactly what happens here in our passage. In many ways, Jesus is fulfilling that scripture right here for his disciples. They call out to him, and he makes the storm be still, and the waves hush. And how does he have the ability to do that? Because he has authority over the wind and the sea, over everything. Another psalm, Psalm 89, says, You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise, you still them. Okay, Pastor, but, but so what? Jesus has this power and authority. What in the world am I supposed to do in response to that? Yeah, he's, he's Jesus, he can do this, but what about me? What do I do? Well, our response should be to have faith in Jesus. To have faith in Jesus. To trust that he has the authority and the power to help us to have faith in him. Now, Jesus asked his disciples in verse 40, he says to them, Why are you so afraid? Why are you so fearful? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? Jesus is trying to teach them the truth, in the words of the scholar Hans Bayer the antidote to fear is faith. If our sickness is fear, the medicine is faith. In this moment, when the storm is going on, the disciples chose human fear rather than faith. Yes, they turned to Jesus. They said, Jesus, we need your help. But they needed to learn to do so while trusting that he is in control. Jesus sees this failure, that they're concerned, they're more about fear in this moment, they're not trusting in him, but he doesn't abandon them. Instead, in in his mercy, in his pity, He takes this moment to remind them of truth. Why are you afraid? Your problem is you don't have faith. He didn't walk away from them, but out of his great love, he challenged them to have greater faith in him. That's his instruction for all of God's people, to have faith and trust in Jesus, the one who can calm our fears and give us his peace. Because as those waves became peaceful, and quiet so Jesus would say in John 14 peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you not this temporary peace but let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid he gives peace we do not have to be afraid so what does that mean for us well that means this authority that Jesus had it extends over every detail of your life and over all the storms you may encounter. We're not promised a storm-free, easy life, but Jesus can bring his peace to you, whatever it is that you're going through. In the middle of the strongest storm, his presence can be there with us. We may feel like the disciples, you know, I feel like I'm perishing right now. I don't feel like I can make this, but he remains faithful. Another scholar, Danny Aiken put it this way, trials, tribulations, difficulties, and desperate moments are when God does his greatest work in our lives. When he brings us to the end of ourselves, we are driven to him and him alone as our savior and rescuer. That's what happened to the disciples. They have no options left. They don't know what to do, so they go to him. Now, when we're in the middle of something, in the middle of a storm, difficult situation in life, just saying, well, I need to have faith. Yeah, that's easy to say. It's much harder to believe when the storm is happening around us. Sometimes we may even look for reasons to justify our doubts or why we don't have faith or trust in Christ. We may say, well, Jesus can't help me with this issue. No one can help me with this thing going on. It's just too big right now. I I can't solve this issue. I can't make it through this health crisis. I can't deal with this person. Jesus didn't have to deal with this situation that I'm dealing with right now. I understand why you may feel that way. I know I've had thoughts like that sometimes, but that's, if I may be be so blunt, that's really an arrogant thought to have. Jesus didn't deal with this same thing. Because the truth is, the one who calmed the storms, he can bring peace to your hearts he can bring calm to your lives and even if he didn't experience the particular challenge you're going through in this moment he knows all human temptations maybe it's a sin issue that you wrestle with i know this thing is wrong but i just can't get out of it well his word says in romans six fourteen that sin will have no dominion over you you are not under the law but under grace You do not have to be permanently trapped by that sin. Jesus's power, his authority can free you from the guilt and power of sin. You can trust him. You can let that storm carry you to Jesus Christ. Another pastor, J.C. Ryle, put it this way, what though our relations, our family oppose us, what though our neighbors laugh us to scorn, what though our place, our situation, our circumstance be hard, What though our temptations to sin be great? This is his conclusion. It is all nothing if Christ is on our side and we are in the ship with him. If he's there, then the rest in his sight and ultimately doesn't matter. Yes, it may be hard, but in that moment we can have faith in Jesus and in who he says he is And if we're a believer in Jesus, if we've turned to him, trusted in him, then we know who he is. We know what he can do. We've looked at things like this before. And what we should remember is that only he can produce the great calm in our hearts and our lives. So what do we do? Well, we can be honest with him. We can say, God, I'm I'm going through this thing, this circumstance, or I'm dealing with with this issue. And I got to be honest, God, I... I don't think like I can make it through this. I feel like I'm perishing. Maybe if it's a health issue, maybe literally, but more, God, I just don't think emotionally I can make it through this moment right now. I really just don't think it's going to work, but I know what your word says. I know that you have authority and power over all things, so God, help me to have faith in you in this moment until you bring me to the other side. Help me to trust in you. And the reason we can trust in Jesus is because of who he is. And that's why the very last verse of our passage moves away from looking at the miracle itself to the question, who is Jesus? The question we're focusing on on this whole series. And I know I spent time talking about that because there's so much that we can learn from being encouraged by this miracle, but let me be clear. This this last verse, this is the main point of this story. We have to grasp this and start here. Because Jesus, yes, he will help us through the storms of life. He can bring us comfort when we're through those challenging times, but he can only do that because of who he is. And if we do not know who he is, then we won't trust in him. We won't trust in his authority. We will not depend on him. So look at verse 41. The disciples when they see what Jesus has done, they are filled with great fear. They're terrified, exceedingly fearful. Mark actually uses the, the, the word, the, the concept of great, several times in this passage. He talks about that there's a great storm that came. Then Jesus spoke, and there was a great calm. And the disciples are then left with great fear. Except this time, they're actually afraid of the right thing. Before they were afraid of this storm, but now they marvel at their master. He made a storm stop completely just with his words. What else could he do? Again, using some imagination, they were probably staring at him with open mouths. And they were afraid because it's human nature to be afraid of people we don't understand. That doesn't make it right, but it is human nature. If we don't understand someone, we're afraid of them. And in this moment, they did not understand Jesus. And they are in awe and fear of his holiness, his righteousness, his power. And so now they ask each other the right question. Not, Do you not care that we are perishing? That's the wrong question. The right question is, who then is this? Who can compel the wind and the sea to obey him. Who is this man that we're following? Who is he really? Who can he be? Mark just lets that sit here. He just leaves that question, then he moves on to the next, because he's telling a whole story. We're not just supposed to read it in these little chunks like we talk about on Sunday morning, but we're supposed to read through the book all together. So he'll go on to explore that more, but the implication he's leaving us pretty clearly is that this man, Jesus, is god the disciples are starting to put together this person i know this person i talk to every day this man is the lord of the universe and that's the point mark has been trying to get us to grasp he's been saying it from the very beginning of the book the very first verse he says this is the beginning of the gospel the good news of jesus christ the son of god he tells us that right at the beginning, so we know where things are going. But in the book, we get this wonderful picture of seeing people on this faith journey. They learn a little bit here or there. They wrestle with a point here and there. They discover more and more of this reality. And it, we'll see it more and more through this book, more people connecting the dots. You know, maybe, maybe this Jesus really is the Son of God. And we'll build to some key moments later in the book where people realize he is the son of God. He has authority over nature, demons, illness, over everything. He is God because God alone has this power. Psalm 65 speaks of God's power. It talks about the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might. The one who, again, stills the roaring of the seas. And the roaring of the waves, the the tumult of the peoples. And why does he act this way? Why does God do those things? So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. God acts so that people know him, see him, see who he is and what he is doing. And that's exactly what's happening to the disciples right now. They see what God has done and they are standing in awe of him and who he is. You know, I was also reflecting on how similar this story is to some details in the story of the prophet Jonah. If If you're unfamiliar, you don't remember the story of Jonah. Jonah was told by God to go somewhere, but he goes in the opposite direction and gets on a boat heading out to sea, and a great storm comes up, like we had a storm here. So the difference there, though, is Jonah is sinning. He's running away from God. Jesus had no sin. They're in the midst of that storm, and Jonah realizes, yeah, this is happening because of me. And so, in order to stop the storm, they have to throw him overboard, and then the storm stops. And he's rescued by a great fish, and and the story goes on from there. But the point I'm focusing on is this storm that, in order to stop it back then, Jonah had to be thrown into the water. Jesus, on the other hand, just stands up, and he says, Peace, be still. And the storm stopped he could stop it by his words. The conclusion we're left with is that this man, Jesus Christ, through this miracle, he must be God. At this point, his disciples weren't quite ready to grasp that reality. Maybe you're not quite there, but they're getting there, and I hope you are too. And we're going to go along with them through the rest of their faith journey in the gospel of Mark. But before we wrap up, we need to ask ourselves this question as well. Who is this? Who is Jesus? And what difference does that make? This is an important question. This is somebody we just saw here. He stopped a storm with his words. This isn't a curious story like, oh, it's interesting that this story in the Bible, Jesus says something, waves stop. Okay. No, this is somebody who's seems to have the power to tell the weather what to do this person who controls wind and waves he deserves demands a response from each of us now we can make a choice about what we're going to do with that how we're going to respond we could choose to say okay i see that but i'm going to ignore it that really yeah that's interesting doesn't really do anything for me or my life Maybe you can doubt it. Say, you know, I don't think the story is true. I don't think it's relevant to me. And you have the freedom to make that choice. But if I may, let me just ask you a question to think about. If you make the choice to ignore this Jesus, then you are choosing to ignore someone who controls all of nature. Is that a wise decision to make? To ignore someone who can control everything you see around you. What do you think he's going to do in response if you ignore what he's given to us, if you ignore how he's presented himself to you? Especially because you sin and you rebel against his rule. And God's word tells us that he brings judgment against sin and rebellion. He brings judgment on all who reject his power and his authority. So you can make that choice, but I think there's a better response you could have, which is to have faith in Jesus. And yes, that's the same response from the first point, but it, it's that important, having faith in Christ. And here, though, I'm more emphasizing less trusting him that he can help us and more trusting him to save you from your sin, your rebellion against God. You can be restored to the one who controls all nature, the one who can bring eternal salvation. You can have a hope through, for eternity through him. Romans 5.1 speaks about the peace he brings. It says, therefore, since we've been justified, made right with God by faith, we then have peace, a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if you do not know Jesus, the response this passage calls for is for you to turn from sin and to trust fully in him. Because if you do that, he will use his power and authority to preserve you through the storms of life, according to his purposes. But more importantly than that, you will know Jesus, the Son of God, the one who alone is worthy of praise, honor, and worship. I pray that you will seek him and ask someone how you can know him today.